Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Flashpoint, shining light on the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams, and this week on Flashpoint, we shine the spotlight on the Philadelphia Citywide Coalition Project, whose mission is to provide the needed tools and resources to help uplift and strengthen communities of color. We want to make sure that when you leave this area, you're going to be made whole. You're going to get the tools that are needed to make sure that you are successful. Our newsmaker this week is a mother-daughter duo that delivers personal feminine care products to people across the Delaware Valley. When we think of poverty, we always think about food insecurity, housing insecurity, but no one thinks about the lack of access to menstrual products. KYW's Antoinette Lee, of course, has our Changemaker of the Week, who is making a huge impact in the community. It's a half hour you don't want to miss, and it's all coming up on Flashpoint. Hello, and welcome to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Raquel Williams. Today, we are visiting with the Philadelphia Citywide Coalition Project. It's part of a growing group of communities expanding throughout the city whose mission is to provide the tools and resources to help uplift and strengthen communities of color. They've been getting lots of attention as of late with regards to their stance against gun violence. They have several measures in place which they believe can help chip away at this cancer that is plaguing our communities. Charlotte Greer Brown and Dr. Deshonda Williams are co-founder of the Philadelphia Citywide Coalition Project, and they join us now. Welcome to Flashpoint. Ladies, let's first talk about the origins of this group. Let's talk about PCCP and how that got started. I have a, a coalition called the Elite 30 Association. Coalition. And what happened with the coalition? Elite 30 were like 30 nonprofit organizations and small business of, of, made up of African-Americans who go into the community to provide services to people. So we all decided to come together to be like a think tank. And um, all I did was took the same concept to add it to the Philadelphia CY Coalition. We tried it for 13 weeks to see, and it was a success. But I'm going to let Dr. D go a little bit more because she can conceptualize it a little bit better. So with PCCP coming on board, as Charlotte said, just collaborating with her and those 30 elite uh, entrepreneurs, resource individuals that provided certain services to uh, constituents of Philadelphia, PCCP also was birthed because there was roundtable discussions about so many programs and organizations that were in existence that were providing services, 
but looking at the numbers and the needs of individuals in the community who were being plagued by many societal ills, it just didn't make sense that we had so many promising programs and organizations, boots on the ground entities in place, but yet our people were still dying. Our people were still feeling like there were lack of resources. And so with the Philadelphia Citywide Coalition Project, it just, it makes sense to say, let's, let's collaborate. We've done a lot of collaborating. We've done a lot of conversating. Let's begin to do implementation. Right. And so let's begin to take all the resources and all the entities that are out there, merge them together and say, let's work together to really help the people in our communities and look at it from a geographical standpoint. If you're in South Philly, if you're in North Philly, if you're in West Philly, if you're in the Northeast and you're providing a service, let's make this a citywide correlation type of project that we can meet the needs of the people and, and say to ourselves, we have all, all of us have our own offices, but let's then think about it. Cause let's conceptualize and say, let's bring our offices to them in the community. Mm-hmm. So we make the pavement. I mean, we can visualize this as best as we can, the pavement, the sidewalk, the pole, the, the street that becomes our office. Right. That's our brick and mortar. That's our way of saying we now have an open door policy, literally, because there are no doors Right, is we're outside. So come, come to a tent and be made whole because when you're coming to our tent and our tables and you come broken because you don't have all the pieces that you need to be successful. We want to make sure that when you leave this area, you're going to be made whole. You're going to get the tools that are needed to make sure that you are successful. I think it's vital for our listeners to understand what happened during the pandemic. When we recall that there were Nonprofit organizations and uh, elected officials, office, city and state and national, mm-hmm. who doors were closed. You got to remember, we were servicing people while they had a voicemail and said, we will get back to you. So we left a number in an email and we responded to people in 24 to 72 hours. So we were like a direct response and we did a lot of virtual, just like how we have this virtual platform here. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of virtual sessions. We helped over a thousand people with the pandemic unemployment assistance program as well. So we were out there and our doors were open just, you know, while their doors were closed. So that is why. PCCP was so vital at the time that it started. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's great that you you know you're bringing people together that have the various areas of expertise that can bring it to the table. Everyone has something different to bring to the table, and the both of you do as well. Let's talk about your backgrounds. I know Charlotte, you're a teacher, correct? Yes. One of the reasons that I like to be in the school system is because I can be a positive influence, right? And there's a lot of young people who need uh, people like myself who have a real world experience, some of our teachers have to focus on giving them the lessons. And and it's people like us who's in that corner that can help with that life skill to help assist that teacher. Our children really, really need it. So that's what pushed me there. But I am a community advocate, social justice fighter at heart. I'm on the front line. I'm on newspaper articles. I'm on the radio. I'm on TV. Anywhere you can think of. I'm there to put my voice out there. And I stand behind young people. And I do that purposely because we have uh, something that we say in Elite 30, that the future is our responsibility. So do something about it. So I also an aspiring attorney. So I am working my way. I just came out of a Clio program for uh, minorities who are seeking to go to law school. So 
I'm working on that. And uh, I just I just love what I do, helping humankind, helping yes. helping mankind move forward and have the things that I did not have growing up. So that's me. Dr. Williams, what brought you here? I am the product of a Baptist Black preacher. My father was a pastor for 34 years in the Nicetown Tayuga section. When he passed away in 2011, I stepped in the role of being pastor of that church that I grew up in. And I was there for about five years in that leadership role. And then I just felt the heart of my parishioners telling me about the needs that they were experiencing through the community. And so it pulled me to the realm of um, being in politics. I ran for state senator in District 3. Um, in 2015. And just once I started getting to social service and dealing with, you know, being an advocate for not only just my church members, but for my community members as well. I am currently a licensed clinical social worker. I taught in the Philadelphia School District as a science teacher. I'm now, I have my own private practice where I am a um, certified clinical specialist, uh, behavioral specialist, therapist who provides services to individuals centered around trauma, grief. I do a lot of things. I wear a lot of many hats. I'm an author, um, a social entrepreneur. I, you know, I have my own businesses that's really centered around the three realms of, you know, education, uh, social services, and uh, religion, theology, as I said. Um, I have a doctoral degree as well from Palmer Theological Seminary, where I centered my research on the church and mental health. Okay. Um, I did my research is based around an examination of our urban church addressing the stigma of mental illness. So my my heart is centered around mental health, um, mental health awareness, mm-hmm. break, making sure that our uh, those that I serve, knowing my mission is to help heal hurting people, right. and basically that's just all you know parts of me. And one of the things I love to do is hang around people that are better than me. So that's why I hang out with Charlotte. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look at that. (laughs) It's vice versa. That's awesome. You know, I want to talk about the the issue of of gun violence. And I know it's complex. It's alarming as well today because we've got many of the shooters are young kids and the victims are young kids. So we're talking 13, 14-year-olds, babies, you know, with guns. I'm, I'm wondering what this says about our village, because it sounds like you're trying to build the village, get the the village back. We want to educate people, okay? Mm-hmm. When we're out there, we're not just out there putting flyers in people's hands and say, here, you take the service. We want to educate people. We want to also, we also want to educate the leaders that are out there, the ones who are out there disseminating the services. If you don't know what's happening on the ground, if you don't know what's happening with the young people, mm-hmm. if you don't know that social media is influencing these young people, if you don't know that the word op means opposition and that's who I'm after, if you don't know the fact that these groups are gangs or whatever they are have come together because they are a family or support family and they're doing whatever they need to survive on the streets, and this is why you see so many young women get killed. These things that we found out, Dr. D, myself, and others, we have to have our ears to the street. I had to say that first because a lot of people don't know what is happening. And, you know, Dr. D did not mention, but I'm not going to go into details, but she has firsthand experience whenever a homicide happens and occurs. So she knows what is happening. A lot of misinformation goes out. So if we're not educated before we go out to help, we don't understand what's going on. 
we know that there's a cyber bullying, there's a cyber fighting and argument and all types of things that's going on. And you know what was alarming to me? Just recently, I was listening to the news and I, and I, oh, and I was listening to words, Solomon Jones, and I heard him say, you know, it, somebody told me that these young people are going back and forth on social media. I'm like, well, we've been telling y'all that for years. They are in the second grade doing these things. They're in the third grade on social media. We need a mediation for social media. So social media is sort of a vehicle that's helping drive this crazy spike in, in violent crime with the kids. I think people need to know that so you can know in your mind, this is what's happening. So if you're an activist out there and you're trying to attack this issue, you need to know what to do before you go out there. So we're very sensitive. That's one thing I love mm-hmm. about having people like Dr. D because she has those 900 plus, probably thousand hours of mental health uh, experts. So she knows how to approach people on the street. So if you're comfortable behind the screen or you're comfortable behind your cozy desk and you know boots on the ground, mm. you don't know what's happening. It just goes back to the supervision of our children. Yeah. You know, I, I said one day I, I will get a bumper sticker that says I blame the parents, right? <clears throat> because <laughs> that could be a you know, two-sided coin conversation. Mm-hmm. Some will say, well, why would you blame the parents? Some parents are doing the best that they could do with what, what, with what they had. But then we have the other side of the parents that are not doing what they should be doing because they, they haven't been influenced themselves mm-hmm. properly, mm-hmm. right? Because there is no real blueprint on how to parent. Right. But we've had, we have experiences of individuals sharing their parenting tips But the question at hand is how do you parent a child in the 21st century that's inundated with social media and the presence of social media? How do you get a second grader or a third grader not to post? I mean, just the other day I had a conversation with someone whose nephew posted, you know, a gun on Facebook or I think on his Instagram. Like, how do you do that? So it's about really parenting and providing that supervision mm-hmm. i remember back in the day there were so many sensors with us like rated r you couldn't even get into a movie theater <laughs> right if right. you didn't have a parent you you couldn't even listen to certain music or even buy certain music if you didn't have parental guidance we've come away from a lot of basics and, you know, and i was talking about the the village earlier and, it, and we really need to bring that village back you know, back when neighbors and aunties and everybody on the block would, what are you doing there? And I, I see, I'm going to let your mother know. And people were held holding a, each other accountable to the point where kids knew they couldn't overstep. But now, I, you know, we've come so far away from that. And I'm wondering if we fell too far to bring that back or not. Mm. I don't know. I think it depends on the, the context in which you're in. Because honestly, there are areas and neighborhoods that I know are very close knit okay. neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, and they will say they can have that conversation with a child on that block to say, and you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Right. You know, you, you know, your mother's at work and you know, you always have that one woman sitting outside her top bedroom window. <laughs> right. and she sees everything. Mm-hmm. I do think that we have gone away from it. We don't see it as much. Because everybody's just living in their bubble. They're living in the space of I'm going to mind my business. It has nothing to do with me until trauma knocks at their door. 
until homicide is laying at their feet, then, then there's this rise of anger and concern and I need help and nobody's helping me when those entities were not at your door, when trauma was not at your door, when homicide was not at your feet, you were the one that was saying, I'm gonna mind my business. So I think we have to begin to shift and begin to change our mindset, need to think about how we should be accountable, how we should be responsible, in what way should we help to make change in our communities. Let's talk about the ways that you and your group are looking to make change in the community. And one has to do with these pop-up community resource centers. And I, I thought this was a great idea. Let's talk a little about how this came about. So we identified the 11 high crime areas in the city. We have visual thoughts of a tent being in these high crime locations. And we say, well, what do what could we do different from everyone else? People hand out flyers, put it in their hands and expecting people to read. And if you know, back in 2017, from the mayor's office, it was a statistic that there were 500,000 people, individuals who read below a third grade level. So people are not doing research how to meet the need, right? So we we can't hand them a piece of paper. We got to bring our printer. We got to bring our computers. We got to bring our laptops. We got to bring our resources. Listen, I had a battery charger where you hook up to the car and you charge the battery. I use that as a power source to power up these electric devices. And people will walk up to us and say, I need a resume. Oh, this is my first time voting. I never voted. Okay, sit down. We had a constituent seat on each side. You know, I was sitting there typing the information in and things were happening right there. Once we finished it, we printed it out for them. A lot of the men did not know about the quick card, right? You can use it to work on the uh, ship on the Columbus Avenue. And what happens is this card is like $125. We pay out of our pockets for them to get that done. And we pay for their ID. You gotta remember all of this money is coming out of our pocket and we're doing it right on the spot and getting them an interview. So, you know, it's things like that, that a person will have to make a schedule, make an appointment to walk into the office to get it done. I know it's not just about these pop-ups, but tell us about where these pop-ups are going to be. 5015 Wayne Avenue, North Philly, 21st Street and Lehigh Avenue. That's on 122921, 19th Street and Susquehanna. That's on January 5th, 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, the corner of 11th Street and West Cumberland Street, which is uh, Federal uh, Square Park, 19133. That's going to be January 12th. Now, if people want to get involved, they want to volunteer, or they want to give to the movement, what's the best way to do that? How can they find you? So for right now, we're on social media. You can go to Facebook, Philadelphia Citywide Coalition Project, and you'll see our contact information there and our link. Charlotte Greer-Brown and Dr. Deshonda Williams, co-founders of Philadelphia Citywide Coalition Project, continued success to the group. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on Flashpoint. Thank you so much, McClell. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. 
Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. It's called The Spot, a 2,500-square-foot menstrual hub in Germantown. And yes, it is the first of its kind in the nation. KYW's Shara Day Howard caught up with Lynette Medley and her daughter Naya, who are in the business of feminine care and sexuality empowerment. Making news on the national stage, Lynette Medley and her daughter Naya are passing along the megaphone to open the conversation on hushed topics surrounding period poverty across the country. And they're starting by shining a spotlight right here on Philadelphia from the first ever menstrual hub called The Spot in Germantown. Lynette, welcome. Thank you for having me. So you and your daughter are trailblazing. There's never been anything like this anywhere in the country. And you're starting here in Philadelphia, having that conversation that for many people is very difficult, period poverty and insecurity. So the SPOT, which stands for Safety Programming for Optimal Transformation, is the nation's first and only menstrual hub and uterine wellness center in the world. And you opened here in Germantown. Why here? It was necessary because... When we think of poverty, we always think about food insecurity, housing insecurity, and those type of issues, but no one thinks about the lack of access to menstrual products. And if those communities can't buy food, have housing issues, and financial or economic hardships, they also suffer from access to menstrual products. And like many other cases, some groups suffer more than others. Yes, marginalized communities are black and brown communities, um, and, and, and also indigenous refugee communities, because again, periods are a stigma in our community overall. So we don't even talk about periods, let alone lack of access to products or issues that we're having with access to these issues. You're opening up not just access to these products, but access to the conversation. You're making the discussion easier to have, but the process hasn't been easy. And it's been through hard work. You know, I want to say that we crashed through glass ceilings um, and, and, and it's groundbreaking because what we did was normalize the conversation. We started saying, how can someone talk about a deficit if we don't talk about it in an everyday conversation um, with our sisters, with our mothers, with our community, and especially, again, on marginalized communities where this is so taboo. So we created a spot intentionally calling it the spot period to call out like this is a space to come to talk about periods, to get resources and education. Because again, we were we want to dismantle the misogynistic patriarchal society that has created the norm for periods to be nasty and disgusting. Let's talk about the layering here, the marginalization and all the intersectionality within this conversation. And in many ways, black and brown women are an unseen group with a silenced voice. So this is a way of giving them a voice, you said. Definitely. And I think I'm glad you brought up that point because our voices are not always heard. Um, our comments and how we feel is always silent. So when we're talking about our bodies, of course, it's not something that's respected. And then you're talking about uh, a natural part of life that, again, is something not talked about. So these people suffer in silence. So we've created the space to basically have a non-judgmental place to have uh, open conversations around periods, around period products, because, again, we want our communities to live in dignity, even though our society has created socially constructed the systems to keep them from living that way. And when you walk through these doors, you can really feel what you call period positivity. There's no stigma behind these walls. That's, and that's what I wanted. I wanted it to feel like home. It's no secret that I tell people that I myself suffer from period poverty. I've experienced every system that was out there, public assistance, 
And because you're no stranger to period poverty, you and your daughter have a special sensitivity to this. You grew up in West Philadelphia. You and your daughter know what it's like not to have. And you say this is a human issue. This is an issue about dignity. You don't want what happened to you to happen to others. Everywhere we went was so stoic and institutionalized. They, like they wanted you to know that you needed it. I said, if I was to ever open a space for my community, I wanted it to feel like home. And when you walk in, you know that we are here to give you what you need and also to give you a hug and give you the love and appreciation so that you yourself can feel better about the choices that you make. The time, the space, and the intent behind it, it is a movement. So many people in the community and across the nation have gotten on this train you're steering. Yeah, it is a movement. Well, it started with a movement. Hashtag Black Girls Bleed was our initial movement that started. And it was really talking about the racism and oppression that existed in the menstrual space, that it wasn't inclusive of the menstrual experiences of black and brown bodies. So that's what we initially called out. So this movement is taking it further. And you say this is bigger than period products. It goes deeper than that. Period products are one of the issues, but menstrual health as a system needs to be addressed in black and brown communities so that we can deal with all of these deficits around endometriosis, around PCOS, about fibroids, and then it leads into the conversation about the maternal health crisis. And I'm going to come out and say it. Many of my friends, including myself, have endometriosis. And as a black woman, it took me almost 10 years to get that diagnosis with me complaining about having pain for years. And I'm not alone. There's so many women with that same story in our communities. Definitely. It happens. Just think we have the highest percentage of, of, of any other community to be suffering in silence for these diseases. And again, I think it's because they discount our pain and our authentic experiences. Periods are natural, but they're not always normal in our communities. So that's something that we can't say that they're normal because what we do is we suffer with ongoing heavy bleeding, excruciating pain because it's categorized as normal. But black girls bleed differently. And I'm here to change that narrative. So that leads me to Black Girl Visibility, the space that we fill and the legacy that we leave. You dedicated a room to Breonna Taylor. Why? That was important because Breonna Taylor was in the safety of her own home when she was killed. And we do not have spaces in our communities to be safe. So that was intentional for anybody to walk in, to drop in and feel safe and know that their needs can be met and that we were here to hear their voices. That was intentional to give education, to give resources and menstrual products. And that was something I wanted her legacy to be here for people to understand that we are changing that narrative and creating that safe space. And you say people in positions of power are really missing the mark here. They just don't get it. I think that they need to know that this is a health crisis, that period poverty is a health disparity, and that is also a safety issue for our communities. And that this is the only spot in the world that addresses all of these issues and that we are intentional about changing the narrative on black and brown bodies. And all of this you're doing with your daughter, Naya. It was so intentional because, again, she understands period poverty. We understand menstrual insecurities. And plus, she's a black scientist. I just have to say, I am the social work education person, but she's the analytical person, the person who does the research, and she brings in the data, and she helps to drive this organization. And she's a, she has been the force that has helped us grow to the to where we are now. And you see, working with your daughter gives you balance. Talk about how important it is to show not only our daughters, but other Black women, not only can we work together, but we can thrive together. 
Yes, she does. She always asks, you know, so what is the data? What are the outcomes? Did you get the information that you need to basically be able to give like, you know, funders or donors or even we actually are getting ready to be published in the American Journal of Public Health because of the work that she's done. And I'm having conversations with researchers. So again, she looks at things through a different lens and a different perspective, which actually helps us be a dream team together. And you have a master's in education and your daughter has a master's in science. Wow. What a combination. I think one of the things is that we all have our gifts and we all have our lanes that we have been able to conquer and manifest. And when we come together, we're a force to be reckoned with. So right now you're the only menstrual hub in all of the world. That's not the way you want to leave it. You have a legacy you want to leave behind. The legacy that I want to leave is that I would like for places like this to be all over the country. Um, and definitely we will want, you know, naming, you know, where Naya can be a name that's conducive with the work that we do. And since it is the holidays, you say that what you do is even more special. Yes, it is, because the holidays is a season of giving. So this is a time to give our communities what they need, safety, products, and dignity. Thank you so much for being here, Lynette. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like to make a donation to the organization, go to nomoresecretsmbs.org or simply visit the spot period at 4811 Germantown Avenue, Suite 101. If you're considering home care for yourself or a loved one, Patriot Home Care makes it easy with a caring and compassionate staff. Don't be overwhelmed by all the choices. Let Patriot Home Care help. Patriot Home Care is growing with offices throughout Philadelphia and now in Delaware. Patriot is accepting caregivers and new clients virtually as well. At Patriot, you will love what you do and feel rewarded by taking care of people who need your help. Patriot also offers some of the area's best pay, benefits, and a $600 sign-on bonus to new caregivers. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week is presented by Patriot Home Care. WWE's Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. His name is Brian Harris, and he's the founder of the nonprofit As I Plant the Seed. This organization has been making a big difference for a lot of young lives in the Hunting Park neighborhood of North Philadelphia. This weekend, they're hosting their 10th annual holiday banquet at their headquarters called the Treehouse. They've collected hundreds of toys and tens of thousands of dollars to help bring some cheer to families in the community this holiday season. Season. Ryan Harris was born and raised in North Philadelphia. The Hunting Park community does have its challenges like gun violence and poverty. All of those things are, are, are currently happening in our area. Harris doesn't want his neighborhood defined by the negativity because he says there are also a lot of good things happening. But we like to believe that the things that we're doing to set up our kids for the future and the opportunities that we were presenting them that change is happening in our community right now so we could combat and prevent those things from continuing to happen and break the cycle of poverty. And he's doing his part to ensure that. He founded the nonprofit As I Plant the Seed to provide a safe haven for kids in the neighborhood and a place where they can get education and mentorship. And we have five graduating classes, mentees that graduated from our program and went on to do some amazing things. Some of them are still in college, some are college graduates, some of them are artists. The treehouse is more like a village. Uh, we like to use the word village around here because we understand that everybody don't have uh, what a good family structure look like. So we want to provide that. This weekend, they're hosting their 10th annual Christmas banquet, where 60 families will get the VIP holiday treatment in six hours. When Christmas come around, we just don't make the kid a number and just throw a gift at them. But we like to be more impactful where they have their own hour without being catered to. Donors and kind from around and outside of the city have pitched in to help make the banquet a success, including a nice list $50,000 from a local law firm, Top Dog Law. Harris hopes this will show other communities around the city that good things Things do happen in Hunting Park when you put in the work for it. A lot of people like to believe.
believe or like to say that the work is not getting done or where is the organization, but I beg to differ. I know plenty of organizations that I'm connected to, plenty of uh, people that's doing the work that don't care about clout, don't care about money, and really care about their community. So they don't get the notoriety and recognition. We talk about killing every day, but I'm sure that we can change the narrative and showing a different look on a community that will plant a seed of that type of influence. I think that we need to just do a lot more of that because it's always something beautiful going on in the community. I'm connected to it. You can find this full story and more information about Ryan Harris and As I Plant the Seed on KYWnewsradio.com. If you know a Philly Rising change maker we should highlight, especially this holiday season, I know there are a lot of great things going on. Please let me know you can tweet me at ar lee on air that's a r l e e on air well that's it for this week's flashpoint i will leave you with this quote from nelson mandela the greatest glory in living lies not in never falling but in rising every time we fall for shara day howard antoinette lee and our producer arian fulcher i'm raquel williams thanks for joining us Flashpoint is a production of KYW News Radio 1039 FM. For more, go to KYWnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint and subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast wherever you get your shows. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives.